Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker with me, Alex Andreu. It promises to be a packed week ahead, so let's try to plot a course through it. To help me read the news runes I have with me, CEO of Best for Britain, Naomi Smith. Morning, Naomi. Morning, Alex. Naomi, the government's rail plan has come in for a lot of criticism, including from the CBI, the Confederation of British Industry, which is having its three-day annual conference starting today across the UK. Both Johnson and Starmer are making speeches. Um, will this mark a moving on from uh, the rail row or a focal point for more arguments? Well, if Starmer's clever, he'll keep it on the agenda uh, because this has hurt the government and hurt Johnson and Sunak specifically. Johnson hasn't got Brexit done and he hasn't levelled up the country and his broken promises, of which there is a litany, are coming into sharp focus every day. Both, of course, have other points they want to be made and known for, so their own speeches may not dwell on it too much. I mean, we'll come on to what we think Sam is going to be saying. The word was betrayal. It was the rail betrayal. You had every northern newspaper front page talking about it towards the end of last week, including Manchester Evening News saying, this is kind of okay for us, but it's terrible for Yorkshire. You know, the War of the Roses was (laughs) put to one side when they had a, a common enemy. It is terrible for Yorkshire. There can be no doubt about it. Absolutely awful. A total betrayal. And and I think that a lot of those MPs in the Red Wall who may not have benefited directly, but there would have been some spillover effects, because remember, Labour controls the cities in the north, will continue to feel very sore and very betrayed about this. And I don't think they're going to let up. There were a lot of people saying, a lot of quite decent commentators over the weekend saying that what was disastrous particularly with it was the expectation management um, that it basically ministers including the prime minister had been promising it's all going to happen yeah. right up until the point it hadn't it didn't happen yeah do you think it was a last minute change of uh, heart or something number 11 forced on them or just really bad politics. I think it's bad planning. I think yeah. that I think this is an amateurish government. I think they don't have decent people around them. I think they have increasingly few 
decent people around them. And we needed an integrated rail plan, and which is it is far from integrated. What we have ended up with now, as many commentators said, is something that the effects we will feel from it will will carry on for generations because infrastructure projects are long-term things that you plan well into the horizon beyond the needs of what you'll need. And it failed us on so many points. It failed us on the lack of high-speed connection to the north, various different parts of the north, across the north. But much more importantly, what it means is that you will not now be able to move freight off of road and onto the older track while you increase the capacity and move the passengers onto the new track. And so it has a huge impact on our climate commitments, our carbon footprint, etc. You know, this is an abject failure. And I don't think it would have been a last minute change of tack. I think it is a lack of strategic awareness, planning and forethought from a bunch of chances that lied their way into government and don't know what they're doing. Starmer will set out Labour's contract with business, as he calls it, claiming that as the party of work, Labour understands the need for stability, security and a plan. There's also quite a lot of Brexit in his speech that has been briefed out. Do we know the general tone? (laughs) I think the general tone is, I'm not Jeremy. He's setting out what he's sort of calling a new contract with with business, Mm. that Labour is actually a party of fiscal discipline. He's setting out five rules for fiscal responsibility. In government, Labour would establish, we're told, an office of value for money to chase down every penny that they spend. Um, Starmer's got an article this morning in City AM, so obviously quite a big business-focused newspaper, and he talks about this economic reset that the country needs and that we need to get much tougher on the UK's comparatively very sluggish productivity by investment in infrastructure and tech and things like that. So um, I, I think the general tone is the days of Jeremy Corbyn are over. You can trust me, business. In a way, it's it's this sort of odd retriangulation we're seeing in politics where uh, the Conservatives have obviously spent a significant amount of money compared to what a Conservative government would normally want to um, because of the pandemic. And now Labour saying, actually, we we might be a lower spend party. And uh, even if we're not, we're going to absolutely scrutinise every penny. Yes, because he's uh, he's also including plans to establish an office for value for money yeah. to chase down every penny we spend. Is, is that a smart move? Does it basically obliquely refer back to corruption, the awarding of contracts to friends and donors. Yes, uh, I, I, I think so. And actually, I mean, one of the politicians that the Tory party most fears is, of course, Rachel Reeves, who is shadow treasury and has had a lot of good press this weekend. And, and that's worth everybody having a, a read of and a look at. And she, before she was shadow Foreign Secretary actually was the one that was talking about cronyism and corruption within the Conservative Party. And this, I believe, is a, is a real extension of that. And I can hear a lot of her words as Shadow Treasury Secretary there in this stuff that, that Sam is talking about. So, uh, I mean, he, he'd be mad not to. It's hurt them. It is far from over. New revelations out today that um, Conservative MPs have been doing tax avoidance as well as taking second jobs and you know not spending enough hours on parliamentary business, etc. The Jennifer Akuri affair has reared its head again over the weekend. Will Will any of this give Number Ten 
pause for thought, corruption? Well, I mean, whether it gives number 10 pause for thought or not, it doesn't much matter. I think what matters is the 1922 committee and letters going in if they feel that Johnson is now on the road to mm. nowhere mm. and has peaked and it's downhill. So it lies on, on uh, polls, basically. Yeah, um, but that said, um, focus group um, stuff over the weekend from More in Common seems to think that voters have just priced in all the sleaze and corruption with Conservatives already, so there may not be much more squeeze you can do on them. So really it is up to the opposition leaders to, to break through with a vision and get yeah. themselves over that tipping point from the 36% into the 40, 41%. Yeah. As, as I say all the time, there are push and pull factors in politics. And Johnson has done quite a lot to push people away from him. Uh, what Starmer needs to do now is to pull them. There's also another backbencher revolt brewing on social care. Last week, the government slipped out a change to its plans. And mm. this has been quite controversial. What, what's, what is it about? So this is about means testing state funded care costs. Right. And what the government slipped out last week is that they will no longer go towards the £86,000 cap on the amount people have to pay for their care. Right. And what what experts are suggesting this means in you know layman's terms is that 60% of elderly care users are going to be left worse off. So anyone with assets less than £186,000 are going to be left worst off. So that is the poorest being hit first and worst as usual. And of course, the backbench conservatives, those that maybe represent more rural seats or towns where there has been an aging population are furious about this. This is yet another uh, mark against them following mm. a few weeks of bad news on other fronts for, for those kinds of constituencies. And another north versus south thing, of course, because the you know uh, property values are much lower um, outside the north, the southeast. Is there potential? Do you think for unhappiness over Patterson and the rail plan and social care to combine into a big revolt, into even a defeat, or will this be another episode where MPs threaten to vote against, but in the end march to the lobby whips tell them? Well, I suppose you know the etymology of conservative is to conserve and not rebel, and they don't <laughs> tend to like it. So we've seen a lot of bluff and bluster uh, with with previous votes in in recent months, where at worst it's ended up in a large number of abstentions from some backbenchers with really only a sort of a dozen or so actual rebellions. I suspect we may see that again. By the way, it's at 10 p.m. tonight, so it's sort of back to the good old days of very late votes <laughs> that might be on a knife edge. I shouldn't think there'll be enough to, to deny the government um, a win on this, but you never know. And it certainly really got them uh, angry. And if if the you know political commentary has to believe the WhatsApps were going crazy over this, now you know, perhaps this is just a way to try and move things on from uh, other things that, that have been dominating the news around sleaze and corruption and rail betrayal and all the rest of it. But things are, are not good within the Conservative Party at the moment. People are talking about a split between the old guard and the new, you know, the old boys that like to be on the make and do all of their deals in the city and earning lots of money as consultants while also pretending to be an MP and the new guard that have had to, you know, fight for their 400 
seat majority, 400 yeah, yeah. vote majority in their seat and want to cling on to it and be seen to be decent, good uh, MPs, but who are, t- you know, more socially conservative and uh, and will be very concerned about these kinds of cuts to hmm. their constituents who are much more likely to be the kinds of constituents that voted for them. And both those groups that you just described intersect in some quite uh, interesting big beast seats like Dominic Raab and Ian Duncan-Smith. So um, Ian Duncan-Smith in particular will be interesting to see how he votes, uh, considering he has a, a sort of history in the social care arena and, and he's seen by conservative commentators to be quite an authoritative voice. In it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The UK government moving away from all that stuff to back to COVID. Mm. Uh, the UK government is increasingly bullish about its decision to open up more quickly than elsewhere in Europe, with, with some justification. Um, meanwhile, several EU countries are going back into restrictions, Austria being the first to have imposed now a, a full lockdown this morning. And there have been loads of protests. Are we right to feel optimistic or will this catch up with the UK again, um, as it has in the past? Well, I think it will catch up because we are still not vaccinating the world. So it's interesting to note that Austria has gone back into a lockdown with daily cases reaching 14,000 a day, when the UK has been averaging over 40,000 a day mm, for mm. quite some time and hasn't gone back into lockdown. We're seeing uh, news that boosters may be rolled out to all adults, not just the over 40s, as is happening from today. But you're you're sort of always just one step ahead of the next variant if you are not vaccinating yeah. the world. And the UK has been poor at its COVAX obligations and there's been you know some controversy about the doses that were ring-fenced to be given to countries that can't afford to be purchasing their own to have passed their shelf life and you know that is completely unacceptable we need to get a grip of this the Delta variant did not emerge in the UK it emerged we think in South Africa if another country with a low vaccine rate is likely to you know have a new strain develop and that makes its way into Europe and the UK then we will be back to square one in terms of fighting this whole thing so yes it seems that we've been relatively lucky in terms of I mean I, I hate I just hate saying that because living with COVID means living with dying with mm. COVID because so many Brits have died and you know our, our rates have been unacceptable and our long COVID rates unacceptable but I, I, I'm, I'm fearful that you know being hubristic about it now is followed by the nemesis of a new variant that puts us all back to square one and the, the government must prioritise uh, working with other rich countries to make sure that we are vaccinating the poorest in the world because otherwise none of us are going to be safe. There was also a little bit of movement on the Brexit renegotiation over the Northern Northern Ireland Protocol, 
Frost wrote a piece. Sefcovic uh, gave an interview in response. Anything worth noting? How does the tone seem? So Sefcovic was doing the broadcast around yesterday and he was suggesting that it's really only him on the, you know, and the EU that's pushing for urgent solutions to the impasse. He said there was some progress on Friday, not defined what that progress was. And his tone seemed to be um, in reaction to Lord Frost's article in the Mail on Sunday that was calling mm-hmm. for much more ambition and urgency from the EU. So Sefcovich saying, well, I'm the only one that is, you know, <laughs> coming to the table with a sense of urgency. Um, as Frost sees it, you know, the UK and the EU just need to agree which products are going to go to Northern Ireland but never leave them. Yeah. And therefore they should not be treated by the EU as if they're crossing an international border. And it's interesting how the notion that the European Court of Justice as final arbiter of single market rules uh, being a red line for the UK seems to have receded into the background a little bit. Yeah. Yes. I mean, from the EU side, what they're particularly concerned about is ensuring that there is no disruption to the supply of medicines into Northern Ireland and that the um, sanitary and phytosanitary checks aren't diluted because, you know, they want to protect animal health, public health, plant health. So when you sort of see what their red lines are, they sound really very good in terms of protecting people and the environment and animals. And when you think about the UK's position on that, the Court of Justice of the EU point as as the guarantor for all uh, laws in, in Northern Ireland relating to trade... It, it sort of feels much more self-serving and about a principle of, you know, sovereignty rather than actually having pastoral care for the people that you should do as a government. Anyway, And also it's never going to happen. I mean, I, I can't. I can't say it enough as a former lawyer that no rules-based body is going to agree to two different fora being ultimate arbiter of its rules because what you then face is a possibility that in the future there's going to be two conflicting interpretations of the same rule of the single market and that's just not going to happen so that was never a flyer maybe they knew that maybe that was a negotiating tactic. Ed Davey has been talking about the need to collaborate with other parties to get the the Tory government out and indeed there's there's some a little bit of white smoke um news of a coalition of sorts in Wales with the Labour Party and Plaid Cymru um cooperating in uh, the Senate there are we any closer to a progressive alliance do you think well this a Davy article um in yesterday's observer i took to be his response to the growing pressure that he will be feeling to talk to the other opposition parties about doing deals. And it's just trying to fob them off. Mm. Um, He's just trying to, you know, make people, probably lots of donors of the Lib Dem party, think that he's doing what they would really quite like him to do, which is actually to cut a proper deal with Starmer. He's pretty explicit in the piece that that there wouldn't be any kind of electoral pact. And all he's really talking about is targeting, which is what the parties have always done. So it's sort of nothing new here, but being dressed up as something new, which is an insult to anyone that, that advocates a progressive alliance. And I would just sort of, 
you know, tell Liberal Democrat PPCs and most of the MPs, frankly, to be asking him what negotiation and dialogue he is having, but particularly with the Greens, who really do hold the keys to a lot of seats um, held by Labour and the Liberal Democrats. You know, if they stand, you're you're potentially denying them a win. And what do the Greens get in return if they don't just, or if they do unilaterally stand aside? I'd say we're not. I think we're much closer towards non-aggression pacts, as we've seen with lots of the uh, uh, parliamentary by-elections that have happened this year and which are happening at the moment in North Shropshire and Old Bexley and Sidcup. But this is just as a consequence of of the usual targeting that they do and resource constraints. Um, and, and we do need to keep the pressure up if we believe in aggressive life. Have you noticed a little bit of weirdness in the polling around that area because for some months now i've seen quite a lot of polls going you know from one week to the next minus three liberal democrats plus three green mm-hmm. it's sort of quite big movement for the first few weeks i i thought these are outliers something's going on with the sample but this keeps happening and i'm beginning to think maybe there's a genuine volatility in sort of the people who want an alternative to Labour and um, the Conservatives, sort of flip-flopping between. There is that, but there is also the fact that the votes within the opposition parties, but particularly with the Liberals and the Greens, are soft. They are much softer votes than you get for the Conservative Party, of course, and in general for the Labour Party. So this isn't completely unusual. But what we've done at Best for Britain is to analyse where votes break between the parties when your preferred party isn't standing to really understand, are Lib Dem voters actually just yellow Tories or are they genuinely of the Uh centre-left and pretty social liberal? And sure as eggs is eggs, and this was you know, the the hypothesis I tested, the vast majority of votes from Labour, Lib Dems and Greens transfer to one another when their candidate doesn't stand rather than going off to the Conservatives. Um, So so there is is and always has been a fair amount of interchangeability. And, you know, that's why they need to work together and not fight each other. Good stuff. Anything else listeners should uh, look out for in the in the coming week? Well, I think the big story um, rearing its head is about the migrant crisis and channel crossings and Priti Patel being seen to have failed because of the large volumes of people still trying to cross the channel. That, of course, is incredibly sad as we head into a particularly cold snap this week. That may mean there are fewer people attempting the crossing, or it just may mean that there are more people that don't make it and don't survive what is a perilous journey, even in good weather. And lots of commentators speculating that this is being stoked up to take um, pressure off of the government from looking at everyone's eyes on the the sleaze corruption mm. rail uh brexit whatever else they're failing at doing it seems that that pretty patel is coming coming under quite some internal pressure for having not delivered her promise to get on top of this issue lots of backbenchers claiming that their that their constituents are very very concerned and upset um about all of this i'm not sure how true that is and how cognizant the average red wall constituent is about you know, dinghies landing in, in, in Dover. But it's certainly being talked up a lot this week, so one to watch because that may yet spill over into a, another big row in the Tory party. It's interesting. If you, construct a, if you construct a crisis that isn't actually there, 
it's quite a difficult one to solve, isn't it? Indeed. <laughs> and that's the end of this edition of Start Your Week. Naomi Smith, thank you for joining us. Thank you and have a good week. If you found this podcast useful, then you can help us out and spread the word. Why not forward the link to this episode to three friends you think might enjoy it? It's really easy. There's a share button in every app and nothing wins people over like a personal recommendation. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. The Bunker Daily was presented by Alexandre. The producer was Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelena Sofronievich. An audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.